0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon from the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
1: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is your WFHB local news for Friday, April 3rd, 2020.
2: Coming up in the next half hour, schools are now closed till the end of the year. WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz reports how it negatively impacts students with special needs.
1: Also coming up in the program, Katrine Bruner reports on how places of worship are impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, your local headlines.
2: There are almost 3,500 reported cases of COVID-19 in Indiana. 102 deaths have been confirmed. This is out of almost 1,800 people tested by the Indiana State Department of Health. There are 40 positive cases in Monroe County, with zero deaths out of 278 people tested. Indiana State Department of Health reports age distribution for those who tested positive in the state. The largest category of those who tested positive in Indiana include ages 50 through 59. This age group makes up 19.6% of positive coronavirus cases. As for newborns through 19-year-olds, this group makes up the smallest number of positive COVID-19 cases, at 1.4%. For those who died from COVID-19, the most at-risk group includes people who are 80 years old and up. This age group accounts for 40.2% of all COVID-19 deaths in Indiana. As for metrics by day, an increase in positive cases almost directly correlates to a daily increase of testing. Therefore, the more testing done, the more positive cases seen.
1: The Bloomington City Council Sustainable Development Committee discussed a plan for administering funds administrated from the Food and Beverage Tax Advisory Committee. During the March 31st meeting, Director of Economic and Sustainable Development Alex Crowley said the document attempts to balance immediate and outstanding needs of local businesses due to COVID 19.
3: Our immediate and urgent focus is on what we're calling rapid response. And rapid response, again, um, includes both funding and non funding. From a funding perspective, um, the challenge is uh, fourfold. Uh, One is to determine uh, what the funding need is, but but not just in the aggregate, really in in the context of other monies that are being brought to bear uh, from, for example, the CARES Act. So, you know, what what are the uh, resources that are coming into the community from the outside? How does how do those help? Uh, w- where are the gaps that come from those? And then what can the local funding um, mechanism do to fill in those gaps.
1: Crowley said assistance in navigating other appropriate fund resources would also be available to businesses. He spoke of potential compensation for large event revenue generators for businesses during the pandemic.
3: The business community and the arts organizations that we are targeting for the kind of program that we're working on uh, will need to revenue generate and, uh, and, and may not have you know fully recovered so, is there anything in the mid-range of, of four to twelve months that we need to be thinking about that could create some revenue-generating opportunities? Silly examples are, uh, and this is obviously not four months out, but you know, Mother's Day is a huge day for restaurants, um, and graduation, of course, is a, a huge time for the whole, you know, um, hospitality industry in Wilmington. Both of those are basically on lockdown and are not going to happen. Mother's Day will, but uh, to the same degree. So, you know, we we um, we have to look out over the calendar, start thinking about what are those other events that people count on that are really big days in, in, um, in the calendar year that may or may not happen? And is there something that we can do to get ahead of that and try to stage for some semblance of revenue generation, even though uh, it, it would not be in the same way as traditionally seen in the past.
1: Councilmember Stephen Volan asked if Community Redevelopment Economic Districts funds could be used for economic relief. He said CREED funds would be reinvested into that geographical area and not general state tax funds. Crowley said he was hesitant to open CREED funds.
3: So we we want to make sure, number one, that we don't use up all of the potential funding in the near term because we don't know what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, And then number two, uh, again, you know the, the the purpose of what we are trying to do is really tactical gap filling right now we're not trying to carry an economy that's not we just don't have the resources to do it so I what I would say is is um, you know as we think about um, how we want to roll out uh, support um, I, it's a, it's a big boon for us to have the, the food and beverage available. Uh, I think that that was going to be always going to be our first priority if we could do it and that uh, sounds like that's possible so I, I would hesitate to go, dip elsewhere until we can see what kind of effect we can have with that first uh, tranche funding.
1: Crowley said CREED funds would not work for short-term recovery. Councilmember Matt Flaherty suggested a loan forgiveness program for funds used towards employee payroll. Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce President Aaron Predmore said in order to receive loan forgiveness, the Indiana State Payroll Protection Program would require a business to rehire all staff. The appropriation ordinance will be heard on April
2: 7th. Up next, WFHB correspondent Jake Jacobson reports on how United Way of Monroe County and Partners issued over $333,000 in grants for 26 local nonprofits. We turn to Jake Jacobson for more on the story. United Way of Monroe County announced plans to
4: distribute grants to 26 local nonprofits this week. United Way of Monroe County, in partnership with Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County, as well as the Bloomington Health Foundation, have distributed over $333,000 and 33 grants to local organizations. In a March press release, United Way of Monroe County announced it would be partnering with local organizations to create a COVID 19 emergency relief fund to support Monroe, Owen, and Greene County nonprofits. United Way and its partners identify the priorities of the relief fund as, quote, Sustaining Operations and Levels of Service in Area Nonprofits Meeting Community Members' Basic Needs, Developing safe temporary residential programs for at-risk individuals currently unsheltered, or in mass shelters or group homes; funding temporary staffing or volunteer mobilization efforts in response to loss of volunteer base critical to daily operations, and increasing capacity of local food security systems and financial assistance programs at area townships and nonprofits end quote. Initial funding commitments included a $50,000 grant for the Hoosier Hills Food Bank to help bulk up on staple foods and a $70,000 grant for the creation of the Community Isolation Shelter. Phase 1 grant recipients include local shelters, food banks, and other organizations that support the basic needs of at-risk members of the community. In addition to the Emergency Relief Fund, The Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County has issued over $32,000 in rapid response grants to nonprofits in Monroe County. Rapid response grant funds help local nonprofits purchase supplies, equipment, and remote work technology, as well as hire the staff necessary to continue functions during the pandemic. According to this week's release, United Way of Monroe County and its partners are developing a plan to identify community needs as they arise in response to the pandemic. Ultimately, the release reads, The goal is to ensure the community's safety net has the resources necessary to sustain individuals and families during this time of unprecedented challenge. For WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson.
1: Bloomington City Council discussed the requested expenditure of food and beverage tax revenues for support of food and beverage businesses and employees during their April 1st meeting, City Attorney Philippa Guthrie spoke about the $2 million expenditure and its potential impact on the convention center
0: expansion. They have been devastated by the executive order um, from the governor 2004 that essentially shuttered um, in-person dining. So they are reduced to carry out and um, delivery, Um, and not all of them can do that, Um, and then other businesses, all of which, um, well, the food and beverage businesses um, are the ones that funnel the taxes to the um, state government, which then come back to the county. And those have been earmarked, as you all know, in both the county and the city, separate funds for those um, funds. And the cities has been committed to <laughs> the pension center expansion project. And these businesses are crucial to that. If, if they fail, if the food and beverage in particular fail, um, that really jeopardizes our, has the potential to jeopardize the funding for the expansion. It also just jeopardizes our community, the economy of our entire community. It's uh, with the university and um, other attractions. Tourism is, is a big business for Bloomington. Guthrie said funds will be distributed as bridge loans.
1: She said the State Board of Accounts released guidelines for appropriate usage of city
0: funds for COVID-19-related relief. Um, And one is that the governing body has adopted a policy in a public meeting that approves the expenditures as an authorized use of public funds. So that would be you next week um, approving this, this ordinance. The uh, the governing body has received advice of counsel in writing that the expenditure has a legitimate government purpose and is acceptable under Indiana code during the current emergency declaration. I think that is in the whereas clauses and also in the memo that I provided. Uh, There is a sub point under that bullet, which is if the expenditures are from a dedicated fund source, There also must be a determination that the particular fund has a closer connection to the government purpose to be fulfilled than general fund money. Guthrie said an additional whereas clause could be added to state funding
1: from FABTAC is more appropriate than the city's general fund. Councilmember Jim Sims asked Guthrie what non-food and beverage-related businesses could
0: qualify. Uh, Arts organizations, for example? Yes. And, And some retail, perhaps? You know, a lot of people, Bloomington has a very vibrant um, shopping district um, with unique shops, and some of them are, they're not all food and beverage, so um, that's one idea. People come, I know, and, and go to a BPP play or a Jewish theater or a Cardinal stage play. When they come to a convention, they stay over for a weekend and go to these things, so... Guthrie
1: said the city can set criteria for what types of businesses could apply. Director of Economic and Sustainable Development Alex Crowley said specifications of support for locally owned independent businesses versus local franchises still needs to be decided. He said there will be limitations on what funds could be used for.
3: You know, again, it would be a broad, you know, expense uh, base, but uh, it could be payroll, could be Rent, it could be a mortgage, it could be, you know, a number of those types of activities. What we don't want is people, you know, pocketing the money as owner, as owners and not distributing it or uh, using it explicitly to stabilize the business in the short term, pending access to, to more significant monies coming from federal stimulus.
1: Councilmember Susan Sandberg said this is bridge funding, not a bailout. Local restaurant owner Susan Bright said her business's funds are dwindling. Council members unanimously recommended due pass.
2: The Indiana Department of Homeland Security said various counties are issuing tighter travel restrictions. Several counties enacted traveling restrictions based on three main categories, warning, watch, and advisory. A warning is labeled in red. If a county issues a travel warning, it's the highest level of local travel advisory. It means that travel may be restricted to emergency management workers only. During a warning, it's advised that people 1. refrain from travel. 2. comply with necessary emergency measures. 3. cooperate with public officials and disaster services in emergency efforts. Both Marion County and Decatur County issued travel warnings. A watch is labeled in orange. The State Department of Homeland Security said this means that conditions are threatening to the safety of the public. During a watch, local travel advisory is limited to only essential travel. This means traveling to and from work, and it also extends to emergency situations. In a watch, emergency action plans are implemented by businesses, schools, and government agencies. Lastly, an advisory, labeled in yellow, is the lowest level of local travel advisory. An advisory means that routine travel or activities may be restricted in areas because of a hazardous situation. People should use caution or avoid these areas. Monroe County has not restricted any travel so far. John Hamilton, mayor of Bloomington, said that could change in the coming weeks.
1: The Monroe County Election Board discussed moving Ellettsville High School polling site to Town Hall during their April 2nd meeting. Edgewood High School principal Dirk Ackerman said holding elections at the school is a safety concern and the Town Hall requested to host the polling site. Local Green Party candidate Randy Paul said school polling sites contradict the Help America Vote Act.
5: Back in 2012, the decision was made that most schools were horrible as far as accessibility because one of the main portions of that survey is that there's a 200-foot limit as far as from somebody parking to getting into the building. And when school buses are coming during the school year, that's almost impossible. And oftentimes the parking for the public is, is well away from the school Because you don't want cars running around driving when there's kids out. So when I hear that school is a possibility, I'm questioning whether people really do understand the Help America Build Act. And when I hear people say, yeah, we've got the survey, we understand it. That's what I heard in 2012. And my question would be, if everybody understands it, why is the Indiana Memorial Union being used as a site when it clearly doesn't pass the Help America Build Act?
1: Akerman said other counties are also moving polling sites out of high schools. Councilmember Carolyn Vanderweel argued with Paul about the Indiana Memorial Union accessibility compliance with the HAVA.
5: There are 52 different criteria. Parking lot is one of them. And we've looked at all get, of them. You can't look, you can hardly get into the building. And then go on the first floor. I don't know where you're going to put your site, if it's on the first floor or the second floor. Try to get an Wheelchair in an elevator.
1: First of all, there is a direct access into the uh, room in which we do. It's right in front of the door. and which room, is there. which room is that? There.
5: Which room is that? An
1: accessible door. It's at the university club. You can't get
5: in the university club within 200 feet of parking. You're not even close. The parking lot across the street is within 200 feet. But not to that room. It's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's right inside the door. You can't get there from there. You can't. I'm not going to argue with you online on a building I've been through a dozen times, and I know more about the Help of America Vote Act, than I think, than most people do. You've got to picture the fact of somebody in a walker. You've got to picture the fact of voters who. One builder I always met when I was working the polls was on a walker with an oxygen tank. And when you park your car, you're supposed to be within 200 feet of the polling of the polling site, and you cannot get into the IMU. Within 200 feet, I don't care where you park or where you put that bowling site. And when you're talking about schools, you guys shouldn't even be talking about schools. It shouldn't be on the list. It was agreed to in 2012, they wouldn't be on the list. And I was afraid that after time went by and people weren't as diligent about it, is that this is going to happen, is that sites were going to slowly be brought, brought back in that are not compliant.
1: Council Member Hall-Turner said the election board will schedule a public hearing to discuss the Help America Vote Act criteria and to vote on a location for the November polling site in Ellettsville.
2: For this next headline, we turn to WFHB correspondent Jasmine White as she reports on the latest education news in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. She gives her report from home.
1: On April 2nd, 2020, Superintendent of Public Instruction Jennifer McCormick directed all Indiana schools to remain closed through the remainder of the year. This is in response to COVID-19. In addition, schools will be required to provide instruction to students remotely. Governor Eric Holcomb originally announced that schools will hopefully return May 1, 2020. Since then, the virus has spread with a total of 13 deaths reported by Indiana State Department of Health this week making a total of 78 people dying with 3,000 people testing positive for the coronavirus in Indiana. As far as graduation ceremonies are concerned for seniors, we have yet to hear confirmed cancellation. Thank you for listening. For WFHB, I'm Jasmine White. County Attorney Jeff Cockerell presented an inspection contract to the Monroe County Commissioners during their April 1st meeting. He said the contract is for road construction.
4: We are building a road that goes from the old, uh, Well, from Curry Pike to Gates Drive, and it's going to go uh, connecting Profile Parkway that way, Uh, we have the contract for the work to be done, and this is a contract for the inspections.
1: Cockerell said the contract uses Redevelopment Commission funds, and the majority of the Redevelopment Commissioners support the contract. Redevelopment Commissioner Jim Shelton added his support.
0: I want to urge you to approve this, and uh, I will say that everything Mr. Cockrell described is true. And we need to do it because the work is actually underway. So we need to have this contract in place.
1: Commissioners unanimously approved the inspection contract.
2: Up next, Alex Dieterer reports on a prescribed burning north of Griffey Lake. For more on the story, we turn to WFHB correspondent Alex Dieterer.
6: Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department will be conducting a controlled burn today at Griffey Lake. The 7.7-acre prescribed burn will occur on the north shore of Griffey Lake, west of Headley Road. According to the Herald-Times, natural resources manager for the Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department, Steve Cotter, said, quote, We had hoped to do the burn last fall, but we didn't get the right weather, End quote. He said good weather and conditions gave the city a last-minute opportunity to have the prescribed burn. Bloomington Parks and Recreation has contracted with Habitat Solutions Wildlife and Forest Management to conduct the burn, as well as partnered with the Bloomington Fire Department during the burn to provide fire suppression training to the local firefighters. The contractor who will be conducting the prescribed burn and the City of Bloomington Firefighters assisting with the burn will all follow CDC-recommended guidelines for physical distancing during all activities of the burn. Firefighters will use sanitizing wipes on all equipment, have no more than 10 people on the site, and will wear personal protective equipment, including masks and gloves. The burn will allow more sunlight to reach the forest floor, creating better conditions for the regeneration of oak and hickory trees, currently being shaded out by beech and maple trees. According to the Bloomington Parks and Recreation press release, Steve Cotter said, quote, Restoration of native oak and hickory forest is desirable for the increased habitat diversity it brings, especially for insects, birds, understory plants, spring ephemerals, and reptiles, end quote. The burn is a low-intensity ground fire that will remove invasive species and recycle nutrients. Prescribed burns are also effective in reducing the risk of large wildland fires. The timing of today's burn will be determined by the weather forecast, moisture levels, and other atmospheric conditions, but will be postponed if the weather conditions do not meet the required standards. The Griffey Lake Nature Preserve will remain open, but the North Shore Trail will be closed to the public during the burn. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer.
2: Up next, WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz discusses how the COVID-19 pandemic affects those with disabilities. We turn to Braden for more on the story.
7: Eleven-year-old Brianna sits in her bed with her iPad and workbook in hand for another day of schooling. A fifth-grader attending University Elementary School Was diagnosed with autism or ASD at three years old. She is becoming accustomed to fear and anxiety whenever she messes up on a problem while viewing her teacher in in real time with other students looking at her emotions from different parts of their rooms. Her teacher is using Canvas to FaceTime, checking in with her students at 3 p.m. every Monday through Thursday. The desire for help while adding a changing everyday schedule has become the new norm for parents and students faced with disabilities during this stressful time as Indiana has shut down schools for the rest of the academic year Due to the COVID-19. Brianna has thrown several temper tantrums while doing her work later in the morning than at the normal time of 9 o'clock, as her teacher showed through her printed schedule, framed to the refrigerator to keep tabs on her work. The changes have gotten on her mom, who has to play many duties from keeping with her schoolwork to connecting with her therapists and school counselors through Zoom and Google Hangouts. She said she is learning how to use those sites for the first time, and she keeps tab on a schedule that is changing from week to week. Kids with disability right now are having a tough road to pave with COVID-19 now impacting everyday life around the world. Those especially with autism are more at risk of struggling with the online classes in the first three weeks while not having the same routine of going to school and coming back home on a scheduled diet. According to the website AppliedBehaviorAnalysis.com, those with autism or autism spectrum the need a, quote, restricted, repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities, end quote. The activities need to be structured to complete with how the mind fills with sensory and thinking, but having too much causes sensory overload, whether it is the type of soap used for a bath, The type of voice used to calm you down, a fuzzy touch from a sweater, or the exact words used in a book can positively impact a daily structure with autism. An example to structure, Donna Cohen, who was interviewed by the CT Mirror magazine in the United Kingdom, said her 27-year-old daughter, who has autism, was used to an everyday routine of feeding the horses, participating in community activities, a Jewish community center, and going to the aquarium. the schedule change, she has been impacted greatly with the ripples from the coronavirus, not just impacting her daughter and impacting her mom, but her entire way of life. She isn't getting the help she needs, with doctors scouring for answers with the coronavirus and not centered on the mentally and physically ill. Her daughter is left with periodic temper tantrums, reminders to play with mommy, and screaming lots and lots of screaming. Quote, her world has been rocked, and I can't offer anything to her. All I can say is, we've changed your schedule. End quote. In the early days of self-quarantining, Brianna became scared when her mom picked up her school supplies from the long line of parents waiting to pick up their kids' supplies, notebooks, and iPads. Two weeks ago, as the change to having online school be taught came into effect, Brianna's mom aimed said on Facebook, she found countless stories of other parents struggling. For instance, a mother that had two autistic kids currently going to MCCSC schools was having trouble with her kids, both of which were special needs. "Quote: Kids ran around and could barely do the online work." She made me realize that I am not the only one struggling either. End quote. Through the confusion of various news reports on when the coronavirus will end, from school canceling to scheduling important appointments with the lack of caregiving. Growing parents like Amy, who are protecting their kids, especially with compromised immune systems, are becoming overwhelmed but hopeful with their kids. According to ABC News, there are parents who are worried about getting their kids exposed, the routine-changing And the therapists, teachers, home health nurses to not be there to de-escalate situations are now at home becoming their teachers and mentors. Some parents were laid off of a job. Some took care of their kids while working from home. Melissa Winchell from Massachusetts works from home as a professor tutoring hundreds of students while taking care of important needs to take care of her daughter who has autism and Down syndrome, giving her a word of the day and educating her with lard put in a cup as a science experiment. Amy recognizes the trails of having her kids both with autism for 24-7 attention. A favorite song, however, can be heard through the pain. Changes by Tupac Secure echo off the walls for Amy to deal with her struggles. She is grateful compared to other mothers, despite the ordeals she has been loving. Quote, I am glad that my son graduated from school and that we can't stress about home health care for my mom, but for me, this was unexpected. There are times when I am numb and times when I am overwhelmed, but I love my kids. It will all work out, end quote. For WFHB, I am Braden Lentz. Stay safe.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Jasmine White, Jake Jacobson, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Katrine Bruner and Braden Lentz.
1: Our executive producer is Kate Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Kate Young. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program.
1: You can be part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at WFHB.org.
2: Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system, coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio.